0: in unexpected places. This
1: is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Hey friends, this is Jason Elam. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. I love the conversations that we have here and I hope you do too. But you know what I like even more than listening to the interviews on the podcast? I really love the conversations we're having on the Messy Conversations group over on Facebook. It's a safe, secure private group where you can talk about your doubts and your struggles and faith and religion and all of life in an atmosphere free from judgment and full of love and respect. I would love for you to join the Messy Conversations group over on Facebook. You can find a link to it in the show notes for this episode, and I hope you'll join us there. Also, please check out our Patreon page. You'll also find a link to that in the show notes for this episode. It's patreon.com slash Jason Elam writes, W R I T E S. Uh, That is where you can sign up to be our patron on Patreon. We could not do this podcast without the 25 supporters who have committed $1 a month or more to supporting the work of this podcast through Patreon for each giving level. There are specific reward tiers. You can get everything from, Early access to each new episode of the podcast, all the way up to free copies of my forthcoming book just for you. Uh, We are publishing articles just for our patrons on Patreon. We are also about to start releasing videos that will be specifically produced just for the patrons of this podcast on Patreon. So would you check that out? Patreon.com slash Jason Elam Writes and make a pledge. It's just automatically drafted every month. You can cancel any time, and there's certainly no hard feelings about that. But I would love to have your support. It makes it possible for us to do what we're doing, and we honestly could not do it without you. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. My guest today is a licensed clinical social worker and works in the healthcare field. He is a co-host of the Fade to Gray Podcast and also runs a solo podcast called Mental He comes from Southern Baptist roots and was headed into ministry until he realized he had same-sex attraction. Seth has an interesting journey, and he isn't shy about sharing it for the benefit of others. Welcome to the Messy Spirituality Podcast, Seth Showalter. Hello. Nice to see you, Jason. I am really excited to talk to you. We've uh, run into each other a couple of times online. We've both been involved in the Too Many Podcasters Zoom gatherings, and uh, we've talked a, a little bit Outside of those gatherings, but I'm really excited to hear more of your story. Can you kind of take us back to the beginning? What was the start of your spiritual journey? Were you raised in a culture of faith?
0: Yes, absolutely. So it's when we talk about,
1: you know, what age was
0: I, did I come into the faith? Uh, At conception, I was born into a Christian uh, Southern Baptist family, and church was a part of my life from as far as i can remember um it's always been a part of who i am and part of my family
1: do you remember walking down a church aisle and you know giving your heart to jesus was was that part of your experience oh sir absolutely it was i listen not only did
0: i walk down that aisle for altar calls more than I mean, let's be honest, more than once or twice. I also led them at one point in my life. So yes, altar calls are definitely a part of, my, part of my past.
1: Okay, so when you walked the aisle to surrender to the God you were hearing about at that season of your life, tell us about that God. Who was the God that you learned about early in life? Oh, that God was a God that was in control,
0: um, a God that was reliable, accountable, predictable, and had my best interest in mind.
1: That was the God that I grew up with. Would you say the God you learned about in the Southern Baptist Church was a vengeful God or a judgmental God or uh, the God of love that we hear a lot about today?
0: Ooh. Well, that's, we're going to come down to semantics because there's a difference between what's preached and what you actually take home. Love was communicated, but around parameters of judgment and rule. So that that's a tricky answer.
1: So it was a kind of a, I, I guess I'm kind of reading my experience into your backstory, which is not fair, but a lot of what I grew up with was God loves you, but if you don't pray this prayer or do this thing or follow these rules or join this church or get baptized. He's going to fry your ass for all eternity. Correct. Was, was there that kind of dichotomy? 100%. Okay. What did that environment teach you about yourself growing up? That I am inherently bad,
0: that there is something wrong with me and that without, without the intervention of a God I can't see, uh, life is not worth living. It's not said openly like that, but that's the message that's driven home. Specifically, when you struggle with same-sex attraction, like I started dealing with, you know, into adolescence, um, the internal messaging provided by the church is absolutely
1: uh, can be very traumatic. All right, can we can we talk about that specific season of your life? when you first began to notice the same-sex attraction? was uh, Do you remember how old you were when that happened? I would say six, 15, 16. Okay. You start to notice that about yourself. Um, is there some sort of pressure you're feeling from the religious culture that you were in to deny that, or did you feel free to pursue that from the beginning?
0: Oh, absolute denial. In fact, I started... I don't care being honest. I mean listen, I'm an adolescent, 15, 16. I started looking at pornography, correct? And like I would look at gay pornography, but in my mind, all right, I didn't view it as gay at all. Like there was mental blocks in what I was doing because I was
1: I was so far in, I couldn't even see it. I was so scared. Okay. Now, as a a teenage boy myself who was exposed to pornography at 12 years old there was this shame that set in immediately following did you experience that part as well oh 100% i mean i have i have
0: more i have tons of journals with scribblings of i am never going to do this again and making you know grand promises to god that i'm going to do this that i'm going to do that and feeling absolute feeling like absolutely like nothing, just feeling shameful um, that there was something wrong with me.
1: Was there a, a point in your spiritual journey where you started to say, maybe things are not as black and white as this church that I attend would preach them to be? Not until far after high school. That
0: happened maybe junior year of college. Yeah, that took it took me a long time. What were you going to school for in college? well, that's a little bit of a trick question. Let me back up a little bit so sure, um, when I graduated from high school, I quickly realized that I wanted to go into the ministry. In fact, I felt called into the ministry to the to the point where I was going to a to my parents' church, uh, which was pastored by Carl Forehand at the time. And I left that church to go to a a mega church where I actually interned for a year uh, in their youth ministry, with the goal of setting forth a career in uh, ministry. I wanted to become a youth pastor or a site pastor. And it was during that time though, I started sleeping with the worship pastor and realized that this was not going to work. So after a year of interning, I went to the University of Missouri and got my undergrad in social work. But that wasn't my first path. My first path was ministry.
1: Can can we back up just a little bit? And can you, can you tell me what drew you into the pursuit of ministry to begin with?
0: I've always felt this calling to be the hands and feet of Christ. When I was six years old, I was in a really serious car wreck. In fact, I was in a coma for six days. And there was always this message that was shared by, and it wasn't even my parents. It was like people from my church, but saying that I was saved for a reason, that that me being alive was a miracle. And it's part of that that drew me into the ministry because it provided a sense of purpose. It was like I was saved for something and this is what I'm supposed to do. Was there any pressure in that for you? Personally, yes, 100%. How did that manifest itself in your life? Oh, well, junior and senior year of high school, I would drive to my church, which was in a different town about 30 minutes away. And I would spend time just praying and crying. And devoting time to the Lord, begging for an intervention.
1: And uh, you mentioned responding to altar call. I, I don't think you use these words, but in my mind, it sounded almost like week after week. Yeah. Which was certainly my experience. Oh, yeah. Um, how how often was that laying down your sexuality?
0: Rephrase that. What do you mean laying down my sexuality?
1: Well, what, how, repenting of these feelings you were having. Based on, you know, I'm guessing you were raised in an environment where you were just taught that was sinful and needed to be avoided. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So, like, once I started having these feelings, I didn't come to
0: recognize them for what they were until probably 18, probably when I started working at the church, and especially once I started sleeping with the worship pastor. So, at that time, um, th- these feelings of guilt and this need to repent and this need to turn was not just a weekly feeling, um, an exercise, but something that I was almost doing daily.
1: At what point did you realize, I-, I know you mentioned the situation with the worship pastor being a defining moment where you just realized this wouldn't work, but do you remember the thought process of, I cannot continue to coexist like this Oh, in this church world? Oh my gosh. Yes. And
0: I, not once, not twice. I would say I was in that place for probably five to six years, feeling utterly stuck. And I, that started in college, and I'm still coming out of it because you feel like you're cut, you're stuck in a catch 22 there's there's absolutely nothing I can do to not have same sex attraction, to not have these thoughts, to not have these cravings, but no matter what I do, I can't change it, but who I am is inherently the enemy of God, but God loves everyone, but he doesn't love me like there's this there's this very complex trying to it's kind of like banging your head up against a brick wall like trying to fit a circle into a square peg like it doesn't work and i that's i think something that almost anyone who is gay and christian experiences and it's not something that you just get over it takes
1: years How traumatic was the loss of that sense of, well, I don't guess you really lost your sense of calling, but you said when you let, when you decided you were going to leave the mega church, that you were going a different path into college rather than pursuing a vocational ministry. How hard was that transition for you? Honestly, not that difficult because
0: I went from... Ministry to social work, (laughs) and honestly, I don't know how I don't know how much closer you can get to being the hands and feet of Christ than being a social worker. So, the activities that I started volunteering at the homeless shelters, the people I was working with, I was serving, it filled the place of the church in a large extent. But I didn't have that special calling, like feeling like I was in God's will. That was what was difficult.
1: When we are on a track towards ministry, generally, there are a lot of mentors and supporters and people around us steering us towards that, trying to guard our way, yes uh, kind of serving as parameters to keep us on the right track. Mm-hmm. Did you have honest conversations with those people in your life about why you were stepping away from that journey? Actually, no, I did in
0: getting into the ministry. I didn't so much in getting out. Did you feel like
1: they would just try to get you to deny your sexuality and stick with the path originally plotted for you?
0: Well, okay, let me back up because the truth of the matter is I did seek some, but I didn't like I didn't like the answers I got because they weren't they weren't instructional, so I don't view that as an actual consultation. Gotcha. But I Like I met with, I mean, I'll be honest, I had someone in high school that helped me get into the ministry. Um, He was my mentor all throughout high school. And then before I left the megachurch I was at, I had a sit down conversation with another one of their pastors. He's not there anymore, though. But I had several talks with these people, but their answers were not, there was no actual direction. The solution was just deal with it. This is your cross to bear. That's not, that's not an answer to me.
1: Yeah. How did, how did you feel hearing that? I mean, I imagine that would be really frustrating. Oh, extremely. Your heart sinks because you start having
0: hope that there is an answer and that God is in control and that He does love you and that He is going to guide you and He is going to provide you direction. And then when you get nothing, it's kind of like, okay, so now what? And and after that happens so many times, y- you eventually give up. And I think that's why we see a lot of a lot of people, a lot of people with same sex attraction who ad- or who identify as gay, um, in the church. And why they eventually leave is because one, we're misunderstood, and two, if we try to if we try to conform to what the church is telling us, to what we're being taught. It's disappointment after disappointment after disappointment without any real safety net. What do
1: you wish Christian leaders knew about those in the church who are coming to understand themselves as part of the LGBTQ plus community and, and therefore could communicate to their people?
0: One, I wish that they knew how Difficult it is on an internal level because not only is the person who is identifying as gay trying to figure out who they are as a person and how they're different than 90% of their peers, but how then they relate to God. And the messages that the church provides are not helpful or supportive in the slightest, most of the time. And I wish that pastors understood that when when people of the LGBTQ population like want to let's say flaunt their sexuality, you know, I don't know what Christians call it, but you know, how we're out there or whatever. Like we're out there for a reason. And the reason is because we don't have a voice and we're struggling. And to understand that it's not trying to push thing and push things into people's faces, but being able to be heard. And so I just wish that that was understood. And that rather than judging, provide a listening ear because I think you'd be surprised at what you hear.
1: Did you ever consider pursuing ministry in one of the more progressive streams of Christianity? Yes. What kept that from happening?
0: It's empty. So that's the whole thing. It's I, th- so for the gay person, this is where it gets really tricky, because you either are in conservative churches that are, by and large, rooted in the word and rooted in truth, but then very like judgmental, bigoted, not being able to be open-minded on this issue, but you're getting fed. Or you go to churches, the more progressive churches, they aren't preaching the word at all. I literally went to a, a church that was affirming here in St. Louis last year, and the sermon was about the Lion King, and the worship songs were from the soundtrack of the Lion King. That's not a church service. I'm sorry. So it's like you either get meat with judgment and condemnation or condemnation, condemnation or love and nothing. There's really no middle ground. Understood. So
1: where do you think you are?
0: Where do you think you are spiritually today? Honestly, Jason, I don't even know. That's the whole thing. Is because I knew you were going to ask me that
1: question, and I don't have a great answer for you. I don't know is a pretty good answer, I think. But I'd love for you to, I'd love for you to explore that. Well, when we want to talk about, like,
0: okay, so what I was, how I was raised was, it was all about what you believe. What does that even mean anymore? What I believe. Like, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Church. I believe in the communion of saints. Like, I believe in the Apostles' Creed. But what does that even really practically mean other than just saying, I believe it? Like, what? what is that practically? I believe all those things, but am I active in church? Am I actively praying? Am I actively reading my Bible and trusting and and placing everything in my faith
1: in God? No, I'm not. Do you do you feel like you're still a part of the Christian family? What does that what does that mean? <laughs> like what does that mean? I guess I, I well I guess what I'm what I'm trying to ask is do you feel like you still have a place at the table of Jesus? Do you, I mean I hear you saying I believe in Christ, and I also hear you. I really do hear what you're saying about what does it mean to believe in these things. Uh, I think that's a great conversation that needs to be had. But do you feel like you are accepted and loved as part of the family of God, uh, even if you may not be completely accepted at the church you grew up in? At times, yes. Okay. Lately,
0: I've lost all interest. (laughs) So... I haven't even really been thinking about it at all. Gotcha. But I mean, at times, yes. I. But it's about my relationship with Christ. It's not my relationship with God's people most of the time. I mean, I'm talking about internally within the church. I mean, I live my life and service to others, trying to be of support, supporting the people. But like inside the church, I'm not really. I don't really strive for that anymore.
1: Uh, was it awkward for you? I, I know you mentioned our mutual friend Carl Forehand. Mm-hmm. Uh, ha- has it been difficult for for the two of y'all to be back in each other's lives? Uh, I- I'm assuming there was some separation from the time you left that church that he was the pastor of between now and then. Is that accurate or were you two speaking throughout that time?
0: Well, so this is where this gets interesting. Because Carl was a transplant to my church, right? So this Big Lake Baptist Church is where he pastor and he was only a pastor there for a few years before I went off to college or went off to Missouri State. So when I talk about like the upbringing and the what the church did and how those things were hurtful, it wasn't under Carl's reign. <laughs> um, it was you know what I'm saying it was the church culture.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I think even Carl, you know, Carl and I have had some really heartfelt, honest conversations on this podcast. And I think he would be the first to say that he's changed a lot since those days. Oh, yeah. Sure. So I'm guessing that his church was not affirming back then. (laughs) No, 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 no. no. (laughs) But but he certainly seems to be today. Yes. And I mean, I I love Carl and Laura. I think they're just precious, precious people. Yes. And I love the way that y'all uh, I agree. Seem to relate to one another. You and I were on a Zoom uh, meeting with Carl just the other night, and uh, y'all have a very good relationship from from the outward looking in, anyway.
0: Yeah. No, Carl's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah, Carl's a great guy. There hasn't been any issues with that at all.
1: I, I guess the reason I asked that, Seth, is because I know how much I've changed since my upbringing. I was raised in the Nazarene Church. My license and ordination were Southern Baptist uh, in my young adult life. But I know that there's some ministers from my younger days that it would be very uncomfortable for me to be around right now just because my beliefs have changed so much. And, you know, I mean, I'm uh, I'm married to a woman and we've got four kids, but my views on God and the church have just dramatically changed to the point that I'm not sure that we could coexist very long. And so it's really refreshing and awesome for me to see uh you and Carl relating to one another now at this point in your life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Carl's a good guy and
0: um it's been very encouraging to see the journey that he's been on.
1: Yeah. He's an encouraging guy. Well, you know, you I've heard you talk about your work now. And you talk about your job uh, at least the job before the job you currently just got promoted to, and it really does sound like ministry. So, I mean, have you thought about that? Like, I didn't really stop pursuing ministry. I'm just doing it in a different arena than I expected to.
0: Oh, yeah, no, that's exactly what I'm doing, and it's intentional. So the whole thing when I was, which again we're going back to when I was younger, but like when I was 18, when I kind of decided to choose social work over ministry. The, the phrase that I was running around in my mind, I have two choices. I can make a difference in trying to make money in, the, in life, or I can try to make a difference in, in helping people's lives. And at the end of the day, that's what I wanted to be known for. Whether it was in ministry or whether it was in, in the world that's what I wanted to do. And when I gave up ministry, I had to ask myself, what is the closest thing to being the hands and feet of Christ in its social work? Or at least that was my conclusion.
1: I love that. I know, I know a lot of social workers, and they are absolutely the hands and feet of Christ.
0: So, I mean, that's, I mean, it's serving the most at need in our society. That's what drew me into the field. And so I just took this, the desires that I had that I wanted to use in ministry, and I just flipped it and said, how can I do it in, in society? in the secular world.
1: Do you miss the community that you had in church? So
0: when you say community, what do you mean?
1: I guess just kind of the the built-in family. You know, the folks that you hung out. I I don't know your particular story, but, you know, I had a youth group to hang out with and I had mentors and I had, you know, uncles and aunts kind of in the church that were looking out after me and a place to feel like I fit in. Now, you mentioned a few minutes ago that you just kind of had lost interest in some aspects of, of that church life. And I just wonder if, if you ever miss that, um, you know, having a, a culture that you felt like you fit in, even if you struggled to fit there some of the time. Oh, absolutely.
0: I, so what I, what, what I did in absence of the church is I started a podcast with a bunch of other people and we developed our own community that we have people from all over the world on, a, on, a mark, on an app on your phone called Marco Polo. And I'm closer to those people than I ever was to anyone in the church. And that is my new community. I just formed my own. So do I miss it? I mean, to some degree, yeah. But I also developed my own new thing that's compensating.
1: Well, I'm so glad you have that. And I guess that was kind of a setup because my next question is about the Fade to Gray podcast. I listened to an episode that you guys did with Carl, and there is so much community happening there. I mean, you know, there's just constant joking and uh, anything goes as far as the questions go. It's not a typical, if there is such a thing podcast where it's really narrowly defined and you kind of stick to one theme. I love how I I believe her name was, was it Amanda? Yeah. Would just throw these questions at Carl. And I was like, oh, I've never heard anybody (laughs) ask a question like that on a podcast before. (laughs) And so I just loved it. But that is just an incredible example of what community can be. And I agree with you. I don't know of a lot of church settings that have that kind of transparency that you guys have on that podcast. How did the podcast start? Our podcast
0: started through another podcast. So just like we developed our own community, um, we were a part of another podcast community. The podcast is called Bad Christian. We were very involved in that community two, three years ago. And several of the guys started talking on this app called Marco Polo, they developed this thing called the locker room. And it's where all the guys from Bad Christian would go onto this app and just hang out and talk. And they had a another group for the ladies and another like all these different groups that you could be a part of. And several of the guys on there, we were always talking. Like that at that time, there were probably five hundred to six hundred messages on that app in that group every day and so several of the guys we all started to bond and one of the guys got together and was like who are the people that we could put together that could have a very div- you know that would be diverse and have good conversations because what we're doing on this app we want to put on live we want to put it in you know make it live make it make it real uh, let other people hear it and that's how it started
1: Well, I love it. I haven't heard very much of it yet, but I just loved what I heard. And I'm so excited that you guys are doing that. Now, as Fade to Gray continues and you continue to be a part of that, you've also launched a solo podcast called Mental. Tell us about that. Why did you start that?
0: Well, Mental's kind of always been the thing that
1: I've wanted to do.
0: Um, So I am a clinician. I'm licensed in the state of Missouri as a social worker. And I also have a, a second master's in healthcare administration. And so, what I want to do is I want to produce content that does two things: one, that destigmatizes and normalizes mental health concerns; and two, provides support, feedback, and actual tools to people who are struggling. And so, through this podcast, it's got two these two aims. Um, so, I'm going to interview people who are struggling with mental health really kind of focusing on that lived experience, focusing on their story and what they've gone through. Because I think we need to hear that. We need to know what it's like. And it's also going to provide a place where people don't feel so alone because you're going to be able to relate. And then the second thing is I'm going to be interviewing professionals um, to come in and talk about what they do for a living. What's the What do they actually do? And what are some things that can be helpful? Um, so it's kind of a dual a dual thing i'm doing there doing it kind of back to back to back
1: um but having a good a lot of fun doing it so far well good i'm excited about the mental podcast as well i i i kind of like to have a summary question to kind of sum up the conversation thus far and, and i i guess the question that i'm wanting to ask you now we we talk a lot about deconstruction stories i i don't i'm not really crazy about that term but that's the one that a lot of people use going through that evolution of faith. Okay. What did you learn about yourself on this journey? What do you know now that the kid struggling with same sex attraction and the shame and that sense of calling didn't know when you were 15 or 16?
0: That I don't need to, I don't need to work to earn God's love, but that I, that I have access to God's love just by being who I am. Beautiful.
1: I love that. How can our listeners engage with you and your creative work online? Absolutely. So you can
0: find um, you can find Fade to Gray and Mental on almost every podcast platform out there: uh, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Uh, we're almost everywhere. And then, if you want to reach me personally, um, you can find me on Facebook. But one of the best ways would actually be to email me, um, which is mental.ftg@gmail.com. Um, please feel free to come on there, email me, let me know what's going on. Uh, so if there's things you want me to cover or things you want to hear about, I'd be more than happy to engage that. And also um, because of the COVID outbreak and everything that's happening there, the pandemic, um, I've released all my Patreon requirements. And I also have a Marco Polo group just for people to come in um, and talk about their mental health if they're struggling. And so please feel free to reach out to me if that's something you'd be interested in.
1: Awesome. Seth, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Listeners, we're going to have all of Seth's social media, that email address he just gave you, the um, links to the podcast that he's mentioned today. We'll have all of that in the show notes for this episode. And I hope that you will take advantage of those resources, especially if you're struggling and who isn't during COVID uh, 2020. We all need each other. And if you need someone you can turn to that you can trust about mental health issues, uh, I just love the heart behind Seth Showalter, and I'm so grateful, Seth, that you were willing to come on and tell a little bit of your story here today. Thank you so much, Jason. It's been a pleasure, brother. I just want to say that I I see you, I hear you today, I affirm you. I just love. I think you are a perfect fit at the table of Jesus, and you just remind me so much of the heart of Christianity. And I'm so sorry that people like me and others made you feel like who you are uh, didn't fit. And so I just wanted to say personally, because I, I'm one of those guys who was a, a family values Southern Baptist Christian conservative who preached against all of these things in the past. And I just want to say, I'm sorry and I love you, And I absolutely receive you as my brother in Christ. And I'm so grateful for your story that you've shared here today. Well, thank you. That
0: means a lot to
1: me. You've been listening to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and visit us online at messyspirituality.org. You can help spread the word about the podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes and sharing links to each episode on your social media. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode.